This morning we want to take one more week um, before jumping into Genesis to consider one more aspect of the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the third person of our Trinitarian God and us as a church. Last week we spoke specifically about the gift of prophecy. And um, I was going to preach on the gift of prophecy, the joy-filled gift of prophecy and um, corporate prayer. But as you knew last week, I only preached on prophecy. And then I was going to move on. I was gonna, this week we thought, well, uh, Pastor Kale was going to preach and start in Genesis and didn't want to push him off anymore into something else. So I thought, well, we'll skip, we'll skip the sermon on prayer and move just into Genesis. Now I had felt three weeks ago that we were supposed to preach, supposed to take a little bit of a break and preach on prophecy and prayer. But, um, but backing away from that, uh, I feel like the, what, not that, not that the Lord struck Pastor Kale with sickness uh, because he wanted this sermon, but providentially so, we moved away from Genesis this week to uh, use the opportunity to preach in place of Pastor Kale so that I could uh, take on the, the gift of prayer, the gift of corporate prayer that we have. And I feel like the Lord would have this for us this morning specifically. It's my intention this week and my hope that, and my fervent hope, it, to stoke the fires of earnest pursuit of God together, to earnest pursuit of the anticipation of God's active presence among us. When, we say, when I say the words God's active presence, what I mean specifically is the work of the Holy Spirit. God's active presence among us is the work of the Holy Spirit among us, part of the Holy Spirit's work among us anyway, this morning through prayer. So specifically thinking about not just prayer generally, but intercessory prayer. Our prayers for one another. Um, it is true that we can pray at any time uh, by the blood of Jesus, any time, come before the throne of God by, in, in the name of Jesus, and we can, we can access that. If we've trusted in him, we can access the throne at any time, anywhere, and ask about anything. Specifically this morning, though, we want to specifically think about interceding for one another, praying for one another. What, does that, what, what might that look like, or what, what stokes that in us to be able to do that? A ministry of intercessory prayer, uh, I believe, is a pursuit of God's active presence at work among us, a, a keeping in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5.25, through the means of um, purposeful and biblically informed dependent prayer on God to be glorified in and through the very real lives of his people and among the nations. So among us, that the Spirit would be at work. We pray that the Spirit would be at work in a numerous kind of ways, not just among us, but among the nations as well. Through all the myriad of promises that he's made for the gospel to be proclaimed, for regenerated hearts to take place, for spiritual renewal, for healings, and for every spiritual gift, for miracles, and for supernatural provision, and so much more. Prayer that is absolutely founded upon the truth of who God has revealed himself to be. Prayer that trusts uh, on the rock-solid promises that are everywhere in this book, God's Word, the Bible. Prayer that actually believes that God will actually do what he said, rather than uh, falling into the impotent doubts of a humanistic mindset that's bled into the church at large where we don't feel like our prayers do anything. Actually believing the promises that God has given us and the God of the promise, promises, trusting and believing on him to do what he has said he, was, 
he was going to do. Prayer that is supernatural rather than filled with flowery words or filled with some sort of discourse. Prayer that believes that God is more than simply able because of course he's able, but that he has pleaded with us again and again to simply ask and to ask with faith, to ask and seek and to knock and to keep on asking and to believe in faith that he will do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Ephesians 3 verse 20. And so let me ask you this morning as we start, do you desire, and that is, are you pursuing, we talked about that pursuit last week with prophecy, are you pursuing, because we are always pursuing that which we desire, are you pursuing, desiring a greater movement of the Holy Spirit in your own life and in the lives of those around you? The Spirit is the one who regenerates a dead heart again to be able to trust in Christ. The Spirit is the one who will reveal, illuminate, and exalt the work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who, by opening blind eyes to see the glory of Christ, by transforming hard hearts to turn from sin and trust in the work of the cross, and by uniting us to Christ in his death and resurrection, makes fellowship with Christ and the Father not just a theological reality, but an experienced reality, something we feel and we know rather than just an intellectual assertion. The Spirit is the one who sets us apart, and the Spirit is the one who grows us in godliness. The Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to be able to understand, again, the depths and beauty and life that's found in this book. The Spirit is the one who causes us to taste and see that the Lord is truly good. The Spirit is the one who empowers us for ministry with a myriad of gifts, so we plead for more of those gifts we earnestly desire. The Spirit makes fellowship with Christ, again, this this wonderful fellowship that's experienced. So let me ask you a question. We'll consider the answers for the remainder of our time together. How are we to pursue the active presence of God, the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of intercessory prayer? How are we to pursue the active presence of God through all or through the ministry of intercessory prayer. When we speak, again, of intercessory prayer, it's specifically a prayer that has the church in mind, uh, one another in mind. It's a corporate kind of thing, praying for one another, certainly uh, praying for things outside the church as well. But I'm thinking about specifically the context of us as a local church this morning. Intercessory prayer, interceding for one another, joining the intercessory prayers of Jesus for us joining the intercessory prayers of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And the church, when we do that, the church is being built up. The church is being encouraged. The church is being comforted. A lot like the things that we spoke of last week concerning the gift of prophecy. Not every one of us will end up having the gift of prophecy, though we earnestly desire them, did desire it. But 100% of us are called and given the privilege of intercessory prayer. Every single follower of Jesus Christ in this room is, is called to intercession, is called to pray for one another. So we can be sure that, that this is something that is for us today. How are we to pursue the active presence of God, the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of intercessory prayer? Seeing him work among us, seeing him do his thing, do his stuff, do his, do his, do the, the bidding of God, do, do strengthening the church, encouraging the church, comforting the church, doing all those things I just mentioned of. 
Well, first, we pursue the active presence of God by humbly trusting him. First point. We pursue the active presence of God by humbly trusting him. Now, simply, we could just simply ask the question, do you trust God? And most of us, if not all of us, would say yes. Except when we consider our prayer life or a lack of one. We think, well, do we? Do we trust him? Do we truly trust God? Do we humbly trust him? If we will only truly pray and grow in a ministry of intercessory prayer at this church if we trust God's revelation of himself in this book that we claim to be sufficient instead of trusting our own heart and mind and logic and experience or a lack of experience. We will only know and experience the active presence of God through the ministry of intercessory prayer when we trust the one we pray to. And simply, simply put, do you trust the one you pray to? Consider a few ways God has revealed himself to us with me this morning. As we go through this brief listing, we're only going to mention a verse or two. That's why my Bible's not open to a specific text this morning, because we're going to be peppering text. So if you're taking notes, just, just, you might not want to, we're not going to take time to look at every single text. We're just going to pepper them along the way and consider some of the things about God in his word. So again, we pursue the active presence of God by humbly trusting him, the person of God. First, our God is independent. He does not need us. He does not need the rest of creation for anything. God is absolutely independent and self-sufficient. He can do what he wants anytime. He is not dependent on anything. Paul says to the philosophers in Athens in Acts 17, he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He is the one who gives. He is the one who exists apart from us. He is the one who has always existed. He always has been. He always will be. He is the great I am. He is the God of all gods, always existing and in need of nothing. The Apostle Paul, upon considering the absolute independence and transcendence of God, cries out this way in Romans chapter 11, Oh, the depths and riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments! How inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? The, 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 the rhetorical question there. No, nobody. Or, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things... To him be glory forever. Amen. We don't speak this way of anybody else. Not one of us around this room, not one of us around this world are independent. We think we're independent, but we're not independent. We are absolutely 100% dependent creatures. He is the only one who is absolutely independent. He is not dependent on anybody else. So let's not kid ourselves that we're somehow self-sufficient to be able to accomplish anything here. We cannot, we cannot move forward well as a church if we are self-sufficient. We are dependent on the independent one, the one who has called us to join him, to entrust ourselves to him, but let us know that we are dependent on him, not him dependent on us. Secondly, our God is the creator. He's the creator. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We spoke about this a number of months ago, in particular, in our Genesis series. And I'd encourage you to go listen to that sermon again at the beginning, because the story in God's Word is bigger than we could ever imagine. Our God is greater than we could ever imagine. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. We, we know that. We understand that to some extent. The psalmist personalizes it this way in Psalm 139. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, he says. It's, it's high. I cannot attain it. Our God is the creator, and he is absolutely omniscient, among other things. Our God is wise also. Not just partially wise. We can be partially wise. Hopefully, the older we get, the wiser we become, but that's not necessarily true. The reality is God is altogether different than us. God, God is perfectly 100% wise. As a matter of fact, he is wisdom itself. In all his ways, he is perfectly wise. Paul says in Romans 16, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but's now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory and forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Our God is wise. Our God is also truth. He's the true God. His knowledge and words are both true and the final standard of truth. So when we look to God's word, we believe it to be true because it's, they're his words and he is the true God. It's why we don't lie, why we shouldn't, why lie is a big issue is because it goes against the nature of God and we fall short of his glory in that way and need to be redeemed from it. Jeremiah says, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Jesus prays this. this. In this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Our God's true. Our God is also sovereign and powerful. Our God is in the heavens, the psalmist says. He does all that he pleases. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, it's you who've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And I could go, obviously, we could go on and on and on about his sovereignty and his power. He is absolutely over all things. He is independent, not dependent on anybody. He is all wise. He is all true, all of that. And he can do as he pleases. I think the one thing that is in our, it's in the name of our church, is, is sovereign grace. It's sovereign grace because, not because it's in us at all, but it's sovereign in that it's in the King. It's His grace towards us. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who has saved us. He's the one who does all things. He's the one we entrust every situation to. And He is sovereign and He is powerful. His power is limitless. His power is not limited to what we even see in, God, in, in the book. This, this book is sufficient for life and godliness and salvation, but it certainly is not exhaustive of God's power and glory. Our God is also good. 
psalmist says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The psalmist just is peppering it over and over and over again because he is good. I tied that together specifically with sovereignty right before because sometimes we would believe in life and difficulties, especially when difficult things happen, we let one of those go. We let either his sovereignty go and he must not be in control of that or he's not good. We believe that God is both sovereign and good in all that he does. He does all that he pleases and he is good in all that he does. Our God is good. Our God is also love. Our God eternally gives his very self to others for their benefit. He did not have to, but he does. 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He is love itself. In this is love, he says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Our God is love. Our God is also merciful. And he's gracious and he's kind. God himself says to to Moses and says to us this morning, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we could go to other passages as well where that specific declaration by God is made. Uh, You could go to Psalm 103 and and read something very similar to this, if not identical, then the Lord is merciful and gracious. He, He is other things, but the one thing in particular, at the front end of his description of himself to Moses, he says, I'm merciful and I'm gracious and I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Our God is also holy. He's perfect in every way. He never does anything wrong. So not just is he perfectly good, but he is also perfectly right. He never does anything wrong, anything at all hinting of error. He's absolutely great and absolutely pure and good in every way imaginable. And we could talk about these things into eternity, and we will if we know Christ. Our God, this God of the Bible, is just crazy amazing. There, there, are, there are volumes of books written on the character and attributes of God. And I encourage you this year to pick one up. The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. The Attributes of God by Stephen Charnock if you're really hungry for a big thick book. The Heidelberg Catechism answers the question about us trusting him because the question I posed before, the question I pose again this morning right now is, do you trust that God? Do you trust him? Is there, is there not reason we say he is trustworthy when we consider just those things, much less all the other things that we didn't talk about this morning and all his attributes and all his ways? Do you trust him? The Heidelberg Catechism says this, asks this question in response. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Here's the answer. Well, here's what I believe. 
that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God, and he desires to do this because he is a faithful Father. So ask each of us again this morning, how are we to pursue the active presence of God, the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of intercessory prayer? First, it's by humbly trusting the actual person we're praying to. God of the Bible and all his revealed glory. We will not be a praying people pursuing the active presence of God whom we we are only fairly acquainted with. And so so the question would be, how acquainted are you with God? How, how, How deep do you know him? He is worth knowing how deep it's imperative if we're to grow and be transformed in our lives at all, much less grow in a ministry of intercessory prayer, that we continue to grow in our knowledge of and trust in the one to whom we pray. So just the application question, how much, how much do you trust him? How much do you know him? Not, not first and foremost, um, why don't I pray? He, he's revealed himself to us here. The, the, the question is, have you opened the book, like Sean preached a couple of weeks ago, to, to open it? Not just because it's your kind of duty to do it, but it's a means of grace to know God so that when we pray, we, we entrust ourselves to him increasingly. Otherwise, our prayers devolve into meaningless words offered up to the false god of our imaginations and unbelief. And, and they're powerless. We, we don't want to be praying to a god who is really only a jumble of meandering thoughts. That, that's dull. Prayer becomes very dull. Prayer becomes very empty in prayer. Is, is very impotent. James, speaking of praying for wisdom as an example, he says this in James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Yes, we see that. God is the one who we've said already, God is wise, right? God is wisdom. So we need wisdom, who do we go to? We go to, we go to the one who is wisdom. He says this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. But that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The, the question, not doubting what? Well, not doubting God. Not doubting the God who has revealed himself so gloriously and who by no means will not prove his promises to be true, whether here now or then in the future when we see him face to face. So we will pray to the one true God, the one true wise God for the wisdom that he has for us. 
the all-powerful God, the all-wise God, the God who is kind and merciful and gracious and loving and sovereign and good and holy. And now all of a sudden you realize that Paul's words are certainly true, that, that, that God is surely able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine because he is so much greater than all we could ask or imagine. We, we've seen, we see him, we see his glory increasingly as we read, spend time with, with God in his word and as our eyes get uh, bigger and bigger, seeing the glory of God, our prayers become bigger and bigger, and He does far more than what we could ask or imagine. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that can be trusted then is the God who can be trusted today, who's the God that can be trusted in the future. And so we want to pray with faithful trust and expectancy for God does not change. And as the Holy Spirit moves in this church, he will work in us ever-increasing dependent prayer that trusts in the one true God. Those two things will go together. Earnest, growing, dependent prayer will come from hearts who are engaged and ex experienced and, 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 and growing in their dependency on this glorious God. And so, again, let me just ask you, what, what God is it that you pray to? Is it a somewhat inadvertently impotent God who is hamstrung by your theological parameters? Or a God who truly has revealed himself in this book, who calls us to trust in him in all his infinite might and wisdom and begin asking him to manifest his might and wisdom among us for the glory of his name and for our joy, not based on our limitations, but based on his lack of them. He has no, he has no limitations. So may we entrust him entirely to answer our prayers. We can go to him and entrust all of it to him and ask and seek and knock boldly with him for he will always do what is right and perfect and holy and righteous and in wisdom and he will answer specifically when he intends to answer through earnest, faith-filled prayers dependent on him. We want to see the Spirit of God move among us, not just to make it exciting, but because we want to see Christ more clearly. We want to see God more gloriously. We want to see Him work in us, hearts of faith, hearts of dependency. We would proclaim the gospel with power to see souls saved and people healed and freed from besetting sins and the full array of spiritual gifts being given, sought after, and given, received for the common good of the church. Second point, we pursue the active presence of God by humbly believing his promises. So we humbly believe him. Now, secondly, we humbly believe his promises. Not only, again, do we trust him, but trust his promises. He's true. He never lies. He's faithful and never unfaithful. All his promises are real, and all of his promises are to be counted upon. Here, just a quick sampling we'll go through this morning together. And again, for the sake of time, we're not going to hit them all. There's, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of verses we could go to this morning. But here's some things that we believe, we want to believe. We believe the promises of his love. Psalm 33, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, and those who hope in his steadfast love. So we, what we see is we 
those who hope in his steadfast love and the love that does not move, does not change, we will be given hope. We will be given hope and recognition that his eye is on us, that he knows us and he sees us. No matter how we feel in the moment, the truth is there. So we believe in the promises of his love. Psalm 86, 5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. He abounds in steadfast love, though the difficult situations we walk through may be very real. Um, his love is that much more real to be with us. So we pray in that way. We believe the promises of his love in Lamentations 3.22, where it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. That's coming, if you know the story of Lamentations at all, from a man who is going through significant turmoil, so, so much turmoil, and yet he brings this, calls this to mind. He calls this to mind, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and it gives him hope. So he believes in the promises of his love. We believe in the promises of his love as well. And we believe specifically in promises of his love and that we sing about it all the time. We celebrate at the Lord's Supper as well that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So when we consider the gospel of grace, we are considering and believing and trusting in the promises of his love that what he did for us on the cross on that day showed us his love and showed us his forgiveness and redemption and salvation. Secondly, we believe his promises of all those things, forgiveness, acceptance, intention to save, and an eternal hope. He says this in Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. These are promises of God. We believe those promises. My, my favorite passage, one of my favorite passages again in the Bible is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7, when it says, you hear the promises here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. This, this is not stated as a promise, but look at them as promises. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When you gave your life to Christ, this is what he did. This is what he promised to do. He's born you again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. The promise, I'm, I'm keeping you and I'm going to take you all the way to that day. It's kept in heaven for you. And it's imperishable. And it is undefiled and it will never be defiled and it's unfading. You are today, by God's power, being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We believe his promises, his declarations of forgiveness, acceptance, his intention to save, and his eternal, and the eternal hope we have in him. We also believe promises in the power of the power of God's word. 
That's why we strive to preach from God's Word. That's why, why it's being peppered this morning, though we're not looking through a specific text. We're looking through many texts and considering God's Word every week. You don't need to hear just my ramblings about something in a, a, just a, like a sweet TED Talk or something. This is God's Word. It's powerful and, and moving and is the one that's going to re- not return empty, which we'll see in just a moment. Proverbs 6 says, When you walk, they, that is the words of God, will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. We believe the promises of the power of God's word active in our lives. Isaiah 55, My word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty but it will accomplish that which I purpose and will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God speaks and, and universes are created. God speaks and mountains are moved. We believe promises of the power of God's word. And so again, we look into God's word, to hear his word, and to believe his promises. We believe promises uh, that he has to send revival. As many that I could have pulled from, but Hosea 6, 1 through 3 is what I pulled. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out assures the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as spring rains that water the earth. So we pray. We pray not just simply for this thing called revival, but we pray that in our being torn down, that we would be risen up, that we would be strengthened in our difficulties, that we would, when we pray for each other in our discouragements, that our discouragements, we would be encouraged by the king of the universe. We believe promises to send revival. We also believe promises that God will be with us. Joshua 1.9, have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or you could go to Isaiah 41.10, which which is a a wonderful gift to us. Fear not, he says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will uphold you, or I I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Fear not, for I am with you. This promise that God will be with us. We also believe promises on the power of the cross over Satan. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Colossians 2, 13 and 15 says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made life together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with His legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. We believe those promises, that those things are true. We who were dead in our trespasses have been made alive. That's a promise. And it's a declaration. The promise in James 4, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And there's a guarantee. He will flee from you. But we believe also the promises of the Holy Spirit's powerful ministry among us. Luke chapter 11, If you then who are evil... 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Or Galatians 5.16, I say, this, this is a, all these ones are already big, but, but this one is a big one. Those of you who struggle with sin, which, which would be 100% of us, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You believe it? We believe promises also that God will not hear our prayers if we live in unrepentant sin. That's a promise also. There's these kind of anti-promises almost. First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. James 4, 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Proverbs 28, 9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Isaiah 59.2 But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Three John 1.2 says Beloved I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That's not the right one. It's not the right verse. So forget that one. Believe promises that God will not hear our prayers if we live in unrepentant sin. If we regard sin in our own heart, if we cherish sin in our own hearts, if we're walking in unrepentance, um, there's one prayer that God hears, and the one prayer is the prayer of repentance. To go to Him and ask for forgiveness. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is why one of the first things we do here on Sunday mornings when, when uh, a pastor comes up to, to pray in particular, but it, often it happens before that during the, during the music set, and it could happen actually before just as we prepare for worship, is that we would come having confessed our sins. Um, Lord, we confess, we, we, we come with, with great joy because we know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but also he will receive uh, glory. And, and we come with, 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 uh, with, in full communion with God. We come and we pray together. I feel like I want to qualify that for just a second before I move on. Because our, our, our hope our hope rests in Christ and Him crucified. The, the we, the, when we confess our sins, and He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, he, that is true specifically because Christ Jesus died for us. Because He lived a perfect life in our place, and He died in our place. And so we who trust in Him, we can always go to Him. And so when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. When we sin, we are, uh, we are still within uh, the redemptive family. We still have been forgiven of all our sins, but, 
But you see, when we regard sin in our heart, when we, when we what's the word he used? When we cherish it in our hearts, when we, when we just like, we don't care, well, then, then, then communion's hindered. It, it might be for an unbelieving person, well, it would be for, an un, for someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. It would be true that if that person goes to God in prayer and prays for one another, but they have not, they have not prayed a prayer of repentance before God, God doesn't hear those prayers but the God will hear the prayer of a repentant person. Um, let me move to the opposite of what I just said. We believe promises that God will not hear our prayers. If we live in unrepentance, then we believe promises that God will hear us and will answer our prayers as those who have found their faith in Christ and trusted in Christ. Second Chronicles 7, 14, a verse that is used often to speak about things in our country and whatnot, but this was specifically made for, a prom for the promises of, of Israel in that day, in context, but generally the principle is true concerning the way that we approach God. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now, it's too much to go into about the, about the land promises and everything from the Old Testament, but the reality is, like, what God is getting at here is the reality, if we're called by His name, and if we will just humble ourselves and pray and seek, our, and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways, then He will hear. That's why we come to Him in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is why James 5, 13 through 16 is, is right and good. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, you'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. There's all sorts of other verses about God hearing our prayers and responding to our prayers, listening to us and responding to our prayers. And so we pray. We could walk forward in this study and continue to go through verse after verse, promises that God will draw near to us if we draw near to Him, promises for the afflicted, promises for the anxious one, promises for those who walk in being worried and those who are experiencing difficulty, to give guidance and provision and protection and strength and promises of a future, of a future hope, not just here in uh, uh, this country, but, uh, but the promise of a better country. That is, the heavenly one. The reality is that if we don't trust in the person of God, we certainly won't believe the promises of God. If we don't believe His promises, we simply won't pray because it feels fruitful or fruitless to us. It feels like words just kind of ascending that... Uh, it's just empty. If we're not in this book enough to know what those promises are, well, there's not going to be any anticipation to see the active presence of God, the Holy Spirit, working among us. And if we surmise that God is no longer acting as He once did, then our prayers will be limited and filled with uncertainty. 
Listen, this, this God whom we've just considered for a very brief time this morning, this trustworthy, faithful, merciful, all-powerful, all-knowing God has promised many things to His people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things to us, and He never changes. And these promises, when humbly believed by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, inform both the reasons we pray and the expectancy in our hearts that God not only hears our prayers, but He will respond to our prayers. Now, the reason we want to consider this today is because we believe the one means of pursuing the active presence of God among us here at the Sovereign Grace Dayton is through continuing to grow in the ministry of intercessory prayer. It's one of the reasons why we break down into groups, because we want to see people praying, not just observing uh, other people praying, but actually praying together and praying for one another. So we do that purposefully and as much as we possibly can, praying on behalf of one another. And we pray in weakness often. Paul tells us in Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. One, one thing that I remember hearing from a mentor was that, that oftentimes we don't know um, some, some things we know are God's will, other things we, we don't know if they're God's will entirely. So, um, so we, just, we just sometimes don't know what to pray. But we want to grow to just pray in desire and to see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the Holy Spirit will take those prayers, take those prayers that, that may not be lined up exactly with the will of God. And, and he who knows the mind of God, he who is God himself, he who is praying for us alongside will help us, will cause us to pray according to his will. So in our weakness and in our imperfect prayers, the Spirit prays for us and, and does that. We pray in those ways, we can be assured that he will not only hear our prayers, but his good sovereign timing will respond with precisely what is needed when it's needed. When we pray for things that we're not sure of His will or not, we pray with clarity and expectation, knowing that He not only hears us, we can be assured that He hears us uh, if we're not uh, regarding sin in our hearts and is pleased with our faith in Him, and we entrust the Spirit to intercede for us, and the one we are praying for according to the very will of God, that we may not know but the will of God that He certainly knows as God Himself again. So pray. So we pray. We pray with confidence. We pray with assurance that the Spirit will take those prayers and then join them to the will of God. We don't have to qualify every intercessory prayer with a declaration, a reminder that God can do what He wants on account of His character. We just come boldly to the throne and we ask. We come boldly to the throne and we seek. We come boldly to the throne and then we depend on Him. We come with earnestness and anticipation and and petitions for one another because we're assured of his character, we're assured of his sovereignty, we're assured of his power and his wisdom and his, his holiness, his goodness. We pray prayers of faith and trust, sure belief in God and his promises that exert themselves in our entrusting one another to him and asking him for precisely what we are desiring to see take place. Do we want to see healings among us? Well, then pray for healings. Let's pray for healings. Let's trust that God is powerful to heal and he intends to heal some. And so we pray with faith. 
We pray for gifts. We pray for these gifts. Will, will everybody receive one gift? No, everybody will receive different gifts and have received different gifts, but we're called to earnestly desire them. And so we pray over one another and we relinquish the activity that God can only do himself, sovereignly giving those gifts. We, we, entrust, we entrust that to him. We pray for salvations for our kids or for friends. We can share our faith with them. We can live out our faith in front of them, but we cannot make anybody believe. And so we pray for one another, evangelistic prayers to help one another be bold and strong and go out in faith or to pray with assurance that he hears our dependent prayers that ask him and cry out to him to answer and that he will use our prayers to fulfill his will. Our friend in the Toronto church, Tim Kerr, uh, compiled a wonderful tool that can be used to pray God's word back to him. It's called Take Words With You. There's a few copies in the prayer room that need to stay in the prayer room, but I encourage you to go to Amazon and, and purchase that little book. Take Words With You. It's just, it's just all scripture in different ways and being able to pray God's word back to him. Um, we utilized a book a while back uh, called Praying the Word by, by Donald Whitney. I encourage you to get that book as well to learn how to pray God's Word back to him, his promises back to him. And as a reminder, there's some books back there called 22 Words on Prayer um, that if you haven't picked one up yet, and if you're a guest, you're welcome to take one. Just take, take one this morning. There's, there's a bunch left on that table in the back that should strengthen you to, uh, and encourage you to pray. You know, perhaps your personal prayer life stinks. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if it does, but I would imagine, as, after being a pastor for 30 years or so, like it's, it's, it's one of the Christian's biggest struggles. So if it stinks, praying for one another on a Sunday morning Praying for one another in the prayer room, praying for one another uh, as, as we gather in some way, will we, we'll only serve to strengthen your prayer life. So this, this corporate, this intercessory prayer will we'll serve to, to build, build your faith to pray throughout the week. Praying for one another on midweek gatherings. Praying for one another at Bible studies you have. Praying for one another, not just simple like one minute to two minute prayers, but actually praying for one another, taking the time to do that will strengthen your prayer life personally. Don't allow the sense of guilt that you may feel regarding your current prayer life keep you from moving forward and praying for one another. Well, I don't pray at home, so I should, probably shouldn't pray here. There is a duplicitous thing that could be happening, but it might also be that the Lord is sovereignly utilizing an opportunity at church to build that area of your life, to strengthen that area of your life when we gather together so that you're praying for each other, not just on Sunday mornings in the future, that you're praying for each other in the cars and in your homes or, or when we're gathering together. It's our desire to grow in this as a church, to put our theology into practice to depend on and believe on and trust in God to do as he promises, to see the active presence of God at work in us and through us. May we be a people who earnestly pursue the God of this book and his active presence among us. May we surrender all of ourselves to him, asking 
seeking, knocking, for God to pour out power from on high, his active presence among us. That, that we would, when we break down into groups, or when we're visiting, when we're visiting in the hall, or when we're talking with each other in this, in this service, uh, before and after the service, that there is that intercessory prayer action. We can pray for one another, caring for one another. And nothing is stopping us from doing this right now, but so, so don't, don't wait until some day to start this, but just start this today. Consider when you come to church, who can I pray with? Who can I pray over? Do I need to be prayed for? Do I need to be prayed over? And ask someone. We have the prayer room that's open after the service. Utilize that to be prayed over and, and prayed for whatever it is that you're asking prayer for. But one thing in particular, that's an event that's coming up that we want you really badly to participate in, is the 48 hours of prayer. It's coming up in a little less than two weeks now. It's the Friday, January 26th through Sunday morning, the 28th of January. So you can take time to click on the link that comes through on Church Center this week in the weekly update to get more information. But we'll be having sign-ups for one-hour time slots to be able to pray for one another for specific things that we will give you to pray for through those um, uh, through that hour. So f there's 48-hour time slots. They're all 24 hours of the day. So we need people in the middle of the night as well as in the middle of the day to pray. But this church building is going to be open as well where there'll be some people here that, that would pray over you if they come in because we'll have another sign-up that you could use if you want to come in or you want prayer for gifting, you want prayer for healing, you want prayer for an evangelistic uh, relationship you have, you, you want prayer for your marriage, you want prayer for your family, you want prayer for whatever. There will be people here to pray for you and to pray alongside of you if you would like them to do that. There'll be a sign-up for that in half-hour slots. Um, and uh, if you need an hour, then take up two slots, whatever. But, uh, but there's th that opportunity as well coming up. So please be looking in your email this week on Church Center as well for information about this. We want to spend specific time in this building as well praying. So this building is going to be open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., Friday and Saturday, and then uh, Sunday morning, of course, we'll meet again at 9 a.m. in the morning. But from 9 to 9 on Friday and Saturday, you'll be welcome to, to come and, and, and just walk through the building and pray through the building. There'll be prayer stations um, around the building as well to pray for certain things, certain people. There'll be, there'll be prayer stations on evangelism, prayer stations for people needing healing, prayer stations for, uh, for leadership, prayer stations for our missionaries, prayer stations for all sorts of different things like that. If you just need time by yourself, there'll be music playing in the background, lightly in the background. If you just need a retreat, um, come, take some time to go sit on a couch, go sit in a corner somewhere, lay down on the floor, whatever. Take the opportunity to, to engage with the Lord or to pray together, to come as a small group or to come as a, a family and come and pray together in this place, praying for not just your family, but praying for one another. This is about intercessory prayer, what we want to grow in as a church specifically. Uh, so, January 26, 27, 28. Look for it in Church Center. Look for it in, your week, in the weekly update for more information. And click on the links that will take you to sign up for those slots. Um, and then if you have any questions, please give us a call. We, we can ask God with utter confidence. Utter confidence. Because we who have believed in Jesus... We who have believed in Jesus and his finished work on the cross on our behalf have full access to the Father. There's, there's no more veil between us. There's no, nothing separating us. So we can come as those dependent on God, 
having our sins forgiven and cleansed, we can approach the throne of God with confidence and ask Him with confidence, ask Him with boldness. In Christ, we can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the truth of the gospel. The gospel gives us the right. The gospel gives us the right to become the children of God. Trusting in Christ gives us the, the right to become children of God. And children of God go to their Father. He welcomes us into His presence by the blood of Christ, by His own blood. And He says, ask, ask me. Just come, ask me. And so friends, may we be a praying church, increasingly, praying for each other.